way to start our service to God be the glory. Thank you so much, Linda Williams. Let's begin the service by singing together. Think about his love. You know this course well. Uh, let's just uh, you know, bring our attention into this room, ask God's spirit to, to prevail, and we know he's already here, prepared to meet us, and let's, let's just worship together and sing Think About His Love. Think about his love, think about his goodness, think about his grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of our Father's love. His love. Think about his love. Think about his goodness. Think about his grace that's brought us through. For as high as the heavens above, so great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure of Great is the measure. Great is the measure of our Father's love. Great is the measure. Great is the measure of our Father's love. John chapter 13 says this, A new command I give to you, love one another. As I, has loved, as I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Today is in worship, you're going to hear a lot about the word love uh, as Brother Ben comes and preaches about it. It's opening hymn, 385. They'll know we are Christians by our love. Let's stand together as we sing. We are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, and we pray that our unity may one day be restored, and they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love, yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. 
with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. And together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. And we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Oh, praise to the Father from whom all things come. And all praise to Christ Jesus, His only Son. And all praise to the Spirit who makes us one. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our so much. All right. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church on this uh, on this Labor Day weekend, Lord's Day. I know uh, Labor Day weekend uh, typically brings along with it a pinch for all the churches uh, in America, um, but I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad you're here to worship with us. Glad that you are here in, in, in spirit and in truth. That's actually probably the first time I've ever heard that song. I've, don't, I've been through the hymn book all my life, and I've never heard that song before. Love the principles in there. Love the, the truths and, and the things that are captured in there. But I, did you grow up Baptist? I did. I grew up Southern Baptist, and, and I was real Southern Baptist, so I, I just missed that song. And uh, so I don't know. I don't know. Now, Brother Norman was our song leader growing up, so maybe, or mine anyway, when I was growing up. And maybe he just sung it, and I just forgot. I don't know. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's a great song. Thank you, Brother Richard. So here's a couple things that, to think about. I want to kind of draw out uh, from your bulletin this morning. Uh, obviously, being Labor Day tomorrow, the church office is going to be closed. So if you call and don't get anybody to answer, that's why. It's Labor Day and the church's uh, its office will be closed. Uh, Thursday, this, this Thursday, September the 7th at 10 a.m., uh, the first backpack packing will take place in our Family Life Center. Um, the, uh, the backpacks are going to start being delivered this Friday. Um, and so uh, there's going to be uh, other folks from church, other churches uh, joining us here at the, at the Family Life Center uh, to pack shoeboxes, bo- <laughs> to pack backpacks. Mercy. Uh, so put that on your calendar if you want to help. I know some of you have been asking about that program. Uh, it's officially starting this Thursday. And it will continue every Thursday thereafter at 10 o'clock in the morning okay um and then of course the food will be delivered every friday 
All right. Also, uh, Christmas uh, in September is, is taking place this month. We're going to have uh, we're going to have several events actually taking place in the way of, uh, of in the way of missions this month. Uh, in your bulletin, you'll see Christmas in Dece- uh, Christmas in September. Uh, the Tennessee Baptist Ranch. Uh, it's not the boys' ranch anymore. They're, they've actually incorporated young girls into the into the ranch now as well. Historically, it's always been called the boys' ranch. Uh, now it's just called the Tennessee Baptist Ranch. They're going to be here the last Wednesday of this month uh, to, to share with us the ministry that's taking place there. And, uh, and so we're going to have a list of things that you can either contribute to um, or, or bless them with in the way of gift cards. Um, the, golden, the golden offering for Tennessee missions will be coming up in a couple weeks as well. You'll see information in your bulletin next week about that. Tennessee, uh, the, the golden offering for Tennessee missions um, specifically is, a, is, a, is an offering that, that targets uh, Tennessee projects, Tennessee missions, Tennessee evangelism. Uh, and so uh, be, be, be on the lookout for that week of prayer guideline uh, next week. Um, and then in uh, Christmas uh, practice, Christmas uh, rehearsals are starting up soon. And, uh, and so in, in the bulletin, you can see uh, that, that, that we're going to go ahead and start putting the word out. If you want to help sing in the Christmas program this year, um, then you can join the choir on Wednesday nights. Uh, and, uh, and Richard would love to have you. Yep, love to have you. And, uh, and so, uh, yep, getting started, getting started right on time this year. Um, so, so just took that away uh, as well. All right, there's your announcements. Uh, I, think, uh, I think that covers most of them. I might have forgotten one or two. Um, but, uh, but it is a good day to be in the Lord's house, and I'm thankful that you're here with us. And uh, so I'd like to pray, and I'd like to, to get out of the way and let Richard continue to lead us in worship through the music. So let's pray together as we go to the Lord. Father, we're grateful this morning as we bow our heads and we begin to enter your presence. Father, we're thankful that we have communion with you on this Lord's Day with our brothers and sisters here at this church. Father, we're thankful that you have ordained this day from the foundations of the world that we would be here, that we would lift our voices in songs and that we would join our hearts in worship. Father, we pray now as as we join corporately together that that our that our, our gift of worship is pleasing in your sight. Father, that you are, that you are glorified, that you are exalted um, through, the, through the worship of your saints. Father, as First Baptist Church joins with many other churches around the world, uh, Father, uh, we, we share the same song uh, as we just sang a minute ago, that they'll know that we are Christians by our love. Father, it is, it is the, the, one of the greatest commandments that you have given to mankind. Uh, and so, Father, as, as we explore this morning through the worship of the music and through the word, Father, we, we explore sacrificial love, love for the brethren, uh, love for one another. Uh, Father, we're thankful that, that we can even love each other in such a capacity because you first loved us. Um, and so, Father, as, as we are reminded of all these things this morning in this worship service, Father, we are thankful. We are we're just grateful. Our hearts are filled uh, with blessing at these reminders. And so, Father, as we, as we move through this next hour of worship, Father, again, may you be, may you be glorified by, we, by, by what we say and what we do. Uh, and, Father, may our hearts be drawn closer to you as a result. And we pray this now in Christ's name. Amen. As we continue to worship, let's sing about that sacrificial love, amazing love. You are my king. Let's stand together as we worship and sing. <clears throat> Chuck's going to sing the verse of this in congregation and choir. You come in on the chorus. I'm 
forgiven Because you were forsaken I'm accepted You were content I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again Amazing love Amazing love, how can it be That you, my King, would die for me Amazing love, I know it's true And it's my joy to honor you In all I do, I honor Sing with us, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were content. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. Sing it out, church. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true, and it's my joy to honor song. Y'all go ahead and have a seat this morning. For the Word of God, for the reading from the Word of God this morning, I want to draw us to the introduction to Psalm 37. Um, this psalm is typically a, um, it's, it's a, it's a reminder uh, for the righteous uh, that, 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 there, that, that wickedness is in the world. And, and I think there's a great reminder for us here in this text uh, as the righteous of God. Um, that, 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 yes, wickedness is present in our world, um, but we are called to, uh, to a higher calling, a higher standard. And Psalm 37 is a reminder of this. It's, it, it kind of, it's kind of a reset 
for, for the people of God that find themselves discouraged and, and, uh, and worried or concerned about the present state of the world. And so let's read this together. Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6. The psalmist says this. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. What a great reminder. Amen? Great reminder to, to, to reorient ourselves uh, according to the things of God, as the word of God is read this morning in the house of God. Brother Richard. Our offertory hymn is, it is a very familiar hymn. Ben, I bet you know this one. Love lifted me. You've heard it. He's heard that one. That's a good one. This is our offertory hymn. Let's stand together and we'll sing all the verses. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me. could have love lifted me. All my heart to Him I give, ever to Him I cling. In His blessed presence live, ever His praises sing. Love so mighty and so true, merits my soul's best songs. Faithful loving service due to Him belongs.
Let's go ahead and be turning in our Bibles. First John chapter three is where we're going to be at today. Um, as Brother Richard has has already mentioned through the worship, through the music, uh, the theme has been love this morning, uh, brotherly love. Uh, that was that was John's theme last week. As it's been his theme pretty much almost this entire book that we've been going through. We're in part seven now of of this, uh, this sermon series through the book of First John. Um, Part seven of, I, I'm not sure how many, uh, we'll, when we get to the end of chapter five, I promise you we'll stop uh, with First John, okay? None of y'all laughed at that. Look, I know it's Labor Day weekend, and I, I know everybody's, uh, you know, taking an extra break, but you don't get breaks from my jokes. I know they're lame, and I know, but amuse me, humor me, shall we, right? I mean, you know how my family feels now with, with, with the jokes that I, that I have, um, um, anyway, um, yeah, we're going to stop at the end of chapter 5 of the book of 1 John. Today, though, we're going we're gonna to read verses 16 through 24 of the third chapter. We're going to finish chapter 3. And, and really, what, what we're going to look at here today is, is the, 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 the plane is going to land on the runway a little bit. The rubber is going to meet the road, if I can use an analogy to John's teaching. So far, much of what he's been saying has been... Uh, very theological. It's been very, um, it's been very ideological in that it is the expectation of God to love him, to love others. But, but let's not lose sight also, too, of the fact that this sermon series is called, How Do I Know I'm Saved? The, the, the whole point to John's book, in many ways, is to bring about assurance of salvation. To bring, to, to, to bring one into understanding or awareness that they are saved. And, and we even looked at the first part that that's not even how John looks at it. I'm saved. That's not, how, that's not the words he uses. He uses fellowship with God. There's a big difference between saying a prayer that, 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 that convinces you that you're saved versus knowing you have fellowship with the Father. And John's John's concern deals more with the latter. So let's read his uh, teaching today, verse 16 of the third chapter. Let's stand and let's read God's word in honor of it. I know some of you from the choir literally just sat down, didn't you, Miss Jan? And I'm asking you to stand right back up. Now, the, the Alexanders haven't even sat down yet, so they're, they're, they timed that just right. Anyway, let's give God's word the attention now as we, as we begin to turn to it. Verse 16 of chapter 3, John says this. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we, all, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whosoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. 
And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for this word. Father, as it has now been read in the assembling of your saints, Father, bless it forevermore. And we pray this in Christ's name. And amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So the title of today's sermon is, uh, subtitle, I guess, is Sacrificial Love. And it's, and it's, again, it's a practical application of what John has been teaching us so far. Uh, I, I mean, in the abstract, if we can, if we can call th- theology abstract, in the teachings of what John has given to us so far, he's given us the kind of the practical nuts and bolts of what it means to be a believer. Today, he's going to show us that, that, that how to be a believer or the fruits that are produced from having fellowship with God. And just a little context for those of you that may have missed a couple of the thoughts that we've had. John has walked us through this book so far by first showing us the undeniable truth that Jesus lived. He then went into the fact that Jesus came to give us fellowship with the Father. And as proof of that love is, is, is shown in us by loving God and loving others. That loving God, John says in the second chapter, is, is, is not loving the world more. Now, loving God means loving the world less. And then he goes into this idea that some are going to try to convince us otherwise. Some of the faith that went out from us but were not of us, they're going to try to convince us that you can love God and love the world. And then he goes into last week's discussion that because we are children of God, we have a place in the Father's family. And so that's why when we know, when we pick up in verse 16, when this, 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 uh, this understanding that because we're in fellowship with God, we're part of his family, he says in verse 16, by this then we know love. Because he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us. So John is going to take this family concept in a, to, to another level. He's going, to, he's going to take what he built on last week about, about how we have to love the brethren. And he's going to build on that in a practical way. Uh, he's going to show us, in a, way, in a word, what it ought to look like. Okay? Um, I know sometimes in our modern uh, understanding or our modern application of church, we don't always show our love well. And John's going to say, this is what love ought to look like among the brethren. If you are a family of God, if you are children of God, then this is what it ought to look like, right? He describes and he kind of prefaces this entire teaching with this idea of sacrificial love, that one gives of oneself and is interested in the well-being of Others. And that's where he starts today. He starts by saying, look, verse 16, love is sacrificial. The love, it, 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 by its very nature, by the, by the way it was expressed to us from God to the way we share it with others in the, in the church, it's sacrificial in nature. Now, the first part of that, John says, by this we know love, because that word love is sometimes uh, not well-defined in our church circles. We say we love the brethren, and we treat them uh, in some of the worst possible ways sometimes. I've never understood that. But if we are of the same family, then we ought to love one another. 
And so we have to, we have to understand love, not in, in our understanding of it or in our application of it, but in the way God views love, the way God defines it, the way God sees it. Well, how does he see it? Well, he first starts by saying that Christ laid down his life for the brethren. First thing John does in his teaching here, he's, he lays down a thesis when describing what sacrificial love looks like. In a word, he points us to the cross. That's what he does. He says, by this we know love, that Christ laid down his life for us. That's the definition. That's God's definition of love. And we can know as believers what this love looks like by looking at the cross. Well, why? Because what love it took to, to hold the Lord to the cross until he died. Right? Because John, and, and Jesus tells us very well in the, in the, in the gospel of John that, that, he's not, that, that no one takes his life from him. Jesus gave his life up. He gave his life willingly so that we might live. And what love it took to hold our Lord to the cross until he breathed his last breath. What love it took for the Savior of the world to take upon the sins of his brothers and sisters. What love it took for the Lamb of God to look or to rather take upon the full wrath of God in substitutionary atonement. We consider all these applications and principles. It was love that allowed Christ or that empowered Christ to take your sin. Because who's, who's going to do that? I mean, who, who of us would willingly take upon somebody else's a sin or somebody else's burden or responsibility? Why would we take that upon ourselves? Well, John tells us there is no greater love than this. Jesus actually said it in John 15, 13. There is no greater love than this that a person lays down his life. For his friends. That's what Jesus, Jesus was talking of himself there. He was talking about how he was, he was going to give his life for the brothers. Paul said in reference to the cross, he said this in Romans chapter 8, or rather verse, uh, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us, toward us rather, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so Paul, in the Roman argument, walks it backwards. He says, who of us are are, are willing to die for a righteous person? Who of us are willing to dare for a, a good person? Who of us is willing to die for a sinner? Oftentimes in our, in, our, in our society, when we see people do wrong, we say, well, they deserve that punishment. And we're not wrong, by the way. But Christ said on the cross, yes, they deserve that punishment, but I'm going to absorb it in myself so that they might live. He took it upon himself to die in our place. Friends, there is no greater love than what Christ showed us on the cross. Because no man has ever laid down his life for his enemies. No man has ever taken upon himself the death sentence that belonged to another. No man has ever willingly taken upon the wrath of God for the purposes of making peace for someone else. No one's ever done that. The cross 
is the only picture in the entirety of humanity that expresses the love of God toward us. And it was sacrificial. God willingly gave his son so that we might live. And so John pivots in verse 16. He says, because we know love, because he laid down his life for us, period. And then he goes on to say, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's his second point here. John basically brings into remembrance uh, all the things that he's already said in this letter. Because we can sit here all day long and we can, we can theoretically say, well, you know what? I love God and I love others. Okay. You speak well. But do you do it? Do you show it? Do you exercise? As we even looked last week, do you practice it? Are you practicing loving God and loving others? Because that's of consequence to John here. And I love how he uses the word ought. He doesn't say should. He uses the word ought because the word ought is an ideal position. It's, 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 a, it's a trick of the language that says, look, this is the standard. And so therefore we ought to act like that. It's not that we should, we're supposed to, but we ought to out of, out of a compulsion of love. Because you can choose to reject it. You can choose in any given situation or any given moment not to love God or not to love the brethren. That's your choice. But the standard is, according to the sacrificial love of Christ on the cross, the standard is you ought to. That's what he's saying here. If we love God, then we ought to also love the brethren. John's point is that this love of the brethren should mirror the cross. It should reflect what Christ did for us on the cross. This is why you forgive one another 70 times 7. This is why you forgive one another as often as you can, as many times as they ask. Because Christ forgave you. That's the standard. It's not whether we feel like it, It's not whether we want to. It's not whether it logically makes sense or not. It's because we ought to. That's the point that John's making here. It's not based on circumstances. It's not based on situations. It should mirror the sacrificial nature of the way Christ loved us. In summary, it should reflect what Paul said to the brethren in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many of you may or may not remember this, but when I first came here in July of 21, the very first sermon I ever preached here was on, Rome, on, 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 uh, on 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How the brethren should love one another. And by the way, I, and I've said that in that sermon. Many of you may not remember because I, I say a lot in my sermons, don't I? Amen? It's okay. I know I do. you're bound to take something out of something somewhere. Because I say a lot. But 1 Corinthians 13 is not written so that we can have something to talk about at weddings and anniversaries and things like that. Paul's teaching in the book of 1 Corinthians is about how the Christians should love one another in the church. See, the, the Corinthian church wasn't doing a really good job of that at the time. 
They were not doing a good job showing the sacrificial love of Christ. And so Paul wrote to them chapter 13. And in that, that reflection of the cross, Paul reminded that the love for the brethren should be long-suffering, that it should be kind, that it shouldn't be envious, that it shouldn't be self-centered, that it shouldn't be proud, that it does not behave rudely, that it does not seek its own interests, it's not easily provoked, that it thinks not of evil, but that it's patient, it's hopeful, and it's enduring. Take any one of those words and apply it to modern ecclesiology, and you will get a very foreign, a very dissonant picture. Because many of our churches today are not long-suffering with one another. They're not kind to each other. They're not, they, they, they are, in many ways, envious and self-centered and proud and rude to one another. They seek their own interests. They're easily provoked by the smallest things, oftentimes even conjuring up very evil and wicked acts of unrighteousness. Many of our believers today are not patient with one another. They're not hopeful and they're not enduring. But this is the love that is shared among the brethren because of the cross. That's the point. That's why when people of the world, as the song said a minute ago, when they see us loving each other, they will know that we are Christians. Because this sacrificial form of love should be what sets the brethren aside from every other people group on earth and all other forms of love. Those on the outside of the church should be able to see how we love one another and know we specifically belong to Jesus. I I, I dare say that the church of 2023 is not in any danger of any indictments of loving in a sacrificial way. And that is an observation. We have to return. We must be compelled. We ought to love one another as Christ loved us. The second part to this, and this is where it really, this is where the, the rubber meets the road. That sacrificial love is practical. It's practical, meaning that it's two things, that it's tangible and that it's meaningful. Practical means you can use it. Amen? Practical means that it's, it's, it's easy, it's simple, it's, it's, you can understand it, it's, it's not complicated, that it's, it's something that you understand and that, hey, this is how I do it. John's first point to the former is that it's tangible, that practical love. The way that Christ loves us, the way that we love the brethren, it's, it's first of all, tangible. Because he says in verse 17, or rather 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. That's the tangibility of it. If that's a word, is that a word? Tangibility? Let's go with it. It is today. But he he even gives us an example of of if we need one, what this looks like. Verse 17, but whoever has this world's goods... If we, having earthly goods, sees a brother in need and then shuts up our heart to them, how does the sacrificial love of God abide in us? 
I mean, it's, it's almost like it's a, it's a line straight out of the book of James even. Right? James or John pulls up alongside James and says, Let us not love in word alone, but let us love in deed and in truth. If you have faith, you should have, you ought to have works. If we needed to substitute a word for works, let's do fruit. If you love God and you love the brethren, there should be fruit proving that. It should be tangible fruit. It should, be, it should not be theoretical. It should not be, it should not be uh, philosophical. It should be tangible fruit. Two, three years ago, we planted an apple tree in our yard, two of them. Mandy has one and I have one. Right? Hers is a red delicious. I don't even know what mine is. What is mine? It's some Honeycrisp. It's a Honeycrisp. Greatest apple in the world, by the way. Praise the Lord for Honeycrisp. Well, hers is bearing fruit. Mine's not. I don't know the uh, fullness of that. But here, the, 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 the point that I want to make is that we should be able to go out in the yard and pull an apple off of that apple tree, right? I mean, I shouldn't have to go out there and theoretically or hypothetically or philosophically pull a fruit off of that, that tree and eat it. I should be able to pull a real f- apple off of that tree and eat it tangibly. And that's what John's saying here. We've got a lot of Christians who walk around theoretically, who walk around hypothetically, who walk around philosophically and all of these other things, but they have no fruit to prove their faith. John would say, how then does the love of God abide in you? Because love does not exist in a vacuum by itself. It must have fruit to back it up. It's tangible. That's what John's saying here. That love shouldn't be some kind of mushy emotion we get or some sentimental idea or concept that, that, that we feel sometimes. Love should be a motivator. That meets the needs of others. Whether that need is physical, whether that need is emotional, whether that's spiritual, or whether that's relational. Love should act as the catalyst that makes the abstract tangible. It's, it's, the, it's the, the fruit, if you will, that should turn our intentions into substance. Our ideas into practice. And our truth, as he says here, into action. Tangible love meets needs. It should be able to pick up and place others on solid ground. It should be the eyes that see the need and the hands and the feet that are swift to provide that care. It's tangible. It's also meaningful, John says sacrificial love, practical love. If we're going to love indeed, it shouldn't just be tangible. It should be meaningful. What does that mean? Well, John says, uh, if, you, if, if he were here today and, and he would explaining this to you and he had our southern, you know, our, our lingo, our dialect, he would say talk is cheap. That's what he'd say. Right? He would say that words are a dime a dozen and people use them all the time. And don't mean any of them. 
He would say that words can be twisted and, and woven into webs of beauty and deception. He would say that words can do all kinds of things, but if they are void of love, they mean nothing. That's what John would say. I've met a lot of people who use a lot of words and say nothing. I've, I've met a lot of pre- people who, who bank on words. They say things like, I'm sorry, and then they don't act like it. That's John's point here. Love should be meaningful. Yes, words are meaningful, but words alone don't cut it. Tangible acts of love communicate beyond what words say. I oftentimes see this a lot of times in relational problems. People, whether they're having relationship problems with their spouse or their children or whatever the case may be, oftentimes it's because they say one thing and they do another. They, they say they're sorry, but then they don't act like it. They, they, say, they say, I'm going to do better, and then they don't. Well, what, what communicates louder there? What, what do people care more about in situations like that? Do they want to hear your words of reassurance, or do they want to see your actions of actual meaningful love? Obviously, it's the latter. They care more about what you do versus what you say. But practical love is an expression of our words. It's what happens when words end and actions begin. More beautiful, though, is the fact that practical love communicates in a way that is meaningful. Not only, not only, one, not only to the one giving the love, but the one receiving it. When we love in meaningful ways, it communicates to others that they are valued that they are appreciated, that they are needed. This is to say then that practical love, as John summarizes, is two things. It's twofold. It's tangible. It meets the physical. And it's meaningful. It meets the spiritual. That if we love God as he loved us, that we should be meeting people's physical needs and their spiritual needs, especially among the brethren. Let's not forget in this capacity our, the words of our Lord in Matthew five sixteen, Because when we love in such a way, others ultimately see the love of God abiding in us. Jesus said this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, your fruit, and glorify the Father in heaven. Amen. Because the goal of loving others in meaningful ways is not so that they can see how good you are. If they see how good you are and they slap you on the back and give you an attaboy, that's your reward. But if they see the good works in you and they glorify God in heaven, then they've seen love. Then they've actually experienced practical brotherly love. And let that be our compulsion, that we love others in such a way that they see the cross, not us. Not our good intentions or our good wishes or our benevolence or anything like that, but that they see the Father in heaven and glorify him. Now, to John's last point, the practical practical nature of all of this is fine and it's well. But how does it answer the question that we know we are saved? 
How does, this mean, how does it mean anything to any of that? Because that's the, that's the rest of John's teachings, verse 19. By this we know that we are of the truth. By this what? By this what? By loving God and loving others sacrificially. By, by producing fruits of righteousness. By this we know that we are of the truth. Amen, church? Amen. That we don't have to guess or wonder that if we're practicing sacrificial love, then we can know that we are of the truth. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess that this actually reveals what's in our hearts. This is the beauty of it, is that it affirms, it assures, first of all, that we have fellowship with the Father, John's first point in the entire book. Not that you're once saved, always saved, or not that you have all these different uh, hopes and all these different aspirations and dreams and, and desires of your heart, whatever. It's that you know you have fellowship with God. That's the point. That's the goal. One with the Father. And we can know that we have fellowship with the Father when we practice such Things. John's point here is that loving in tangible and in meaningful ways assures us that we have fellowship with the Father. It's a natural consequence. On the one hand, loving others in sacrificial ways shows our obedience to God. Love God, love others. That's the two greatest commandments. When we are obedient to God, it leads to confidence in Him. And this is where he gets in this next part. By this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Look, here's the truth. One day, you're going to stand before God in judgment. Or you're going to stand before the Lord. Amen? And you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to have Christ standing there as your advocate or not. And you're going to have to give account if you don't have Christ as your advocate for all the things that you said or did. But ultimately, it is appointed on men to die and then the judgment. What's going to be your defense when you didn't love God or didn't love others? What is going to be your defense if you did? That, what, what, what are the fruits of your fellowship with the Father? Are you going to be able to stand there confidently before God and say, Father, all this I did for you. You loved me and I loved others. And I was obedient to your commands. Will you hear at that point, well done? Or will you hear, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you? Those are the two answers given to us in Scripture. That's it. What kind of confidence do you have right now of those two answers? That's what's on the line here. That's what John's saying. And if you have confidence that you're going to stand before the Lord, and because of His work on your behalf, that you will be declared righteous, then you should have that confidence right now. Amen? Not, not fearing death, not fearing illness, not fearing disease, not fearing political apostasy, not fearing depravity, not fearing your neighbor, not fearing anything. But you have confidence right now that if you had to stand before God, that would be more consequential than what you're dealing with in this world. If we have confidence that we'll stand before the Lord one day in righteousness and in justification, then we should have the same assurance now. That's John's point. 
We should have, we should walk, we should talk, we should act and behave with that intentionality. Verse 22, or verse 20 and verse 21 are the, 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 two, the two sides of that coin. If our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. But if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence before God. This is where the Christian life hinges. This is where it either thrives or crashes and burns. When we are obedient to God, we have confidence before him and we have assurance in the Christian life. And that changes things, by the way. It transforms everything you think about this world. That's why when you can look at a news headline and say, you know what, that's bad, but then walk away not wringing your hands and worrying about every single thing that happens because you have confidence in Christ, not in Washington. It's because you have confidence in Christ, not yourself. It, it, it's, and that's really what's, that's what's being said here. I know oftentimes we get worried, and we should be concerned about the things of our world. That's not to say that we should neglect that. But it is to say that we should have more confidence toward God. And by the way, that's toward. Our hope is toward heaven. It's, it's toward God because he is our fellowship. The second part of this is that loving others is the best way to keep God's commands. Verse 23, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of the Son of, of Jesus, believe on his name, or his Son rather, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandments. Very, very, almost John chapter 3, by the way, the Gospel of John, I mean, that we should believe on the only begotten name of the Son of God. But the best way to love others by keeping God's commands. The entirety of the law, remember, hinges on the on the two greatest, right? The, the law and the prophets, summarizing the two. Love God, love others as yourself. If obedience to God's commands can be kept by observing these two, then it goes without saying that this is our best way to show our love for God. What this means then is that as God shows his love toward us, we in turn show our love for him by loving others. By the way, this is only a formula designed by God that makes any sense. It's pretty simple, to be honest with you. It's not complicated. It's not unreasonable, because John uses that word later on, too, in chapter 5. It's not unreasonable to keep God's commands. They're not hard. It's not difficult. It's not, it's not challenging here. The, the challenging part is us, our flesh, our sin, our lust. But Christ loved us in such a way that empowers us that we ought to be able to love others the same way. And then lastly, keeping God's commands proves that we abide in Christ. Verse 24. Now, he who keeps his commands abides in him. And I've told you this before in this, in this book. Abides in Christ is the entire point. It's the entirety of the Christian life. That keeping God's commands proves that we have union with Christ. The whole goal of Christian life is to live in that union, that oneness, just like we are one right now. Brother Jim, I loved your prayer even a minute ago when you talked about that love and that unity. L listen to me. It's only because of the love of God and the union that we have with him that we are one. 
The moment one or two or 10 or 15 of us separates ourselves from union with God, we're going to separate ourselves with union with one another. It's going to happen. Because we're no longer living in union with God, so we won't live with union with one another. We'll live in accordance to our own desires, our own ideas, our own thoughts, our own, our own hopes or whatever. Not the ones that God shares with us. But when we abide in God, he abides in us. That's what John's saying here. And by this, here's again that phrase. And by this, verse 24, we know that we have, or we abide rather in him and he in us. We got too many people walking around our world today wondering if they're saved. They, 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 they don't know. If you were to die today, would you, would you spend eternal life or eternal separation from God? I, I, don't, I don't know. I'd hope that I would spend eternal. I would hope that I'm a good. I hope, I would hope, I hope, I hope. Where is your hope? Not in yourself. It's in the Christ. It's in the cross. That's, that's the point that John's making. That when we abide in him, we have life. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we achieve nothing. Apart from him, we can't grow our own fruit. Apart from him, we do not advance the kingdom of God. When we abide in Christ, though, we grow, we make disciples, we love in a way that is tangible and meaningful. And the body grows. Not necessarily just the body here at First Baptist Church in Union City, but the body of Christ around the world. The kingdom of God. Because that's the initiative. It's a wonderful, beautiful exposition by John as he brings this in. And he's going he's to he's take it in a different direction a little bit next week. But as he brings this family concept in, let's embrace it. Let's, let's, let's be one with God. Let's be one with another. And let's be obedient to Christ and his commands. Amen, church. Let's pray this morning as we close. Father, I'm grateful this morning for this word. Father, what a, what a beautiful word. What a... What a what a, what a compassionate word for us as the church uh, this morning as, as you've given to us through your brother John, through your servant John, our brother, uh, the words of love, sacrificial love. Father, through this, through this sermon, we've, we've understood that, that because Christ loved us and gave himself for us, that we are also to do for one another. Father, that's not always easy, as you know. It's not always something that's at the forefront of our minds. Father, our humanity gets in the way and our pride and our sin. And Father, we, we, we pray though that, that you would empower us to love one another. Father, in sacrificial ways, in ways that, that, that are exemplified on the cross. Father, because we know that that's what separates us from the rest of the world. Father, may you be exalted by the unity that we have here at First Baptist Church. May you be glorified by the oneness that's shared here among its membership. Father, as we continue to abide in you individually, may we continue to do so corporately as well so that the kingdom of God may advance here, locally, and abroad. Father, we pray that your name is, is exalted today in this sermon and this message. Father, that the saints of God are edified by the preaching of your word. And Father, as this now comes to a close, this sermon... Father, I pray that your will is done according to your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creation.
Father, Son, 